You're with Clement Maniatella. 702. All right, so we are supposed to start a conversation now uh, with Olila George, who is the Secretary to Parliament. Um, this is supposed to be a conversation about the role of Parliament, really, in our democracy, because this is quite an, an essential cornerstone of our democracy. And I wanted us to look at the uh, responsibility of Parliament, like oversight and the monitoring of the executive. But during the news at 10 o'clock, we got a call uh, that Kolile George is not going to be able to join us for a conversation because there's a crisis that he has to attend to. I mean, he's the secretary to parliament. He's essentially the CEO of parliament. And parliament tomorrow uh, is hosting the State of the Nation address. So these things do happen. So I gave him a call as soon as the producers told me that his team says he's not going to be able to join us. So I gave him a call um, and I spoke to him and he told me that there's a crisis that has come that he needs to attend to. So he's just called into an urgent meeting. He's been called into an urgent meeting to try and deal with that crisis. So I really apologize that we're not going to be able to uh, to speak to him. Um, I did ask him to come on so he can explain to you as the listeners um, that he's got to got into he's got to go into this urgent meeting and he won't be able to join us for this full hour of the conversation. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to give you that update. I apologize. Uh, everything was set until literally the last uh, couple of minutes. In fact, uh, let's hear from the man himself, Tolile George, who's the secretary to to Parliament. He's on the line to us now. Tolile, I was just explaining to the listeners that we are not going to have this conversation as planned. We'll schedule it for another day because uh, you've now been called into an urgent meeting. Yes, good morning, Clement, and good morning to all the 702 listeners. And my sincere apologies for indicating that due to an urgent matter, I have to attend to a meeting. I've, however, indicated that I can take some conversation if uh, it will still be permissible, possible until half past. Um, as I'm chairing the meeting, I've just asked somebody to hold. So I, uh, I don't... Okay. Um, yes, yes. So we can take some few engagements. Okay, so what, can I keep you then until half past and then you'll step yes, back into yes, the meeting yes. at half past? Okay, yes, wonderful. Yes. And, I, I and appreciate then, that. And then any time today or tomorrow, I will be available and I will dedicate the time at an agreed date or time tomorrow okay. with you. No, we'll set another date because I really want to sit with you for an hour. There's, I think there's so okay. much to talk about. So uh, now that I've got you for, for a limited time, let me just ask about, um, th th this is... Um, the State of the Nation address where Parliament is now adopting these new rules to try and prohibit disruptions by introducing this new set of uh, new joint rules. So let's start with that. Um, so those have been adopted. How are they going to stop this kind of disruptions that we have seen in the past? Uh, Clement, uh, the new rules that have been adopted by Parliament have been adopted by a joint rules committee that worked on, on, on these rules. Joint rules committee means a committee of both houses of parliament, the National Council of Provinces, as well as the National Assembly. Each committee has got a rules committee. 
but when they combine together, it is referred to as a joint rules committee. And they will then table those rules in the respective houses to make sure that they are formally adopted. Indeed, these rules have now been formally adopted by the House in December, and essentially they amend Chapter 2 of the rules. So the rule has got different chapters that govern sittings in the House, govern conduct of members, govern proceedings in a committee, governing the authority and status of a presiding officer, sanctions that if uh, there's um, uh, unruly behavior or behavior that is disruptive to the proceedings, and, 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 who to give a motion of no, sorry, a motion, and also points of order and so on. And they are not specifically amended for this sitting, uh, Clement. I must say that to, 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 to the listeners. Parliament, since 1994, from time to time, it, democ- it, it, it developed rules that will be consistent and reflective of the value system that underpins our democratic edifice. So from time to time, from the first parliament, 1994-1999, rules have been developed and they have been amended. Uh, 1999, 204, 204, 209, 209, 2014, 2014, and, 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 and. So it is not a unique peculiarity that all of a sudden parliament woke up and decided to amend a particular rule on the point of order. So contrary to a, a, a pedal narrative, these rules are rules of parliament and consistent with any other parliament anywhere in the world. Rules that govern the conduct in any proceeding sitting of a house must be in such a manner that they reinforce the centrality of the institution as an effect of governance in our country. And the second dimension of that is that in any sitting and gathering, it is important that conduct be in such a manner that it allows democratic participation, it doesn't stifle points of accountability because members are elected by the public to hold the executive to account. So contrary to that, they are about creating orderly settings and they are consistent like any other country in their own context. So how different are things going to be? Because my understanding is that, you know, the interruptions are prohibited during the president's speech at the opening of parliament, but also additionally these rules stipulate that no other business may may be considered during a joint sitting other than the specific business for which the joint sitting is convened. But what we've seen, even from, like, say, members of the EFF, for instance, who are known for often disrupting the president, is they often get up on a point of order. Um, Does that now mean whenever they get up on a point of order, the speaker will give them a warning, and if they do not adhere to that, then they continue to call a point of order, and they're shouting, then instantly in that moment then they're going to be chucked out of of, of parliament, for lack of a better word. In in terms of the amended rules, uh, uh, Clement, the only business that will be transacted up on is the business as outlined in the constitution. The joint sitting of both houses of parliament is convened at the request of the head of state, His Excellency, the President of the Republic. And it has always been like that consistently in previous years. It's outlined in the constitution that the president may convene and summon joint sitting of houses in order to make an important announcement. In, that, in, in this instance, it is the state of the nation that has been traditionally done. And in this case, the rules have been amended such that 
in the rules, it is now specifically indicated only the, the business that has been agreed in the order paper. So when the order paper has been read, it's going to say the delivery of the state of the nation address by His Excellency, the President. And that is the only business on the agenda. So during the proceedings, as the president speaks, the rules have now been amended and agreed in the House that uh, there may not be disruption of the president in terms of points of order during the delivery of the speech. So, but previously, whenever they would do points of order, they would do several of them until the speaker much later then calls security to remove them. So this year then what happens? I suppose that's what I'm trying to see. Where is the difference going to be? Because Julius Malema said just a, a day or so ago that even if he and the others that have been sanctioned by parliament for storming the stage uh, last year, uh, even if they are not going to be present there in parliament, the EFF members who will be there, they said as soon as the president gets up, they are going to rise on a point of order. So the question then is, is it at that moment when they rise on that point of order that the speaker is going to be empowered as per these rules to then call on security to remove them or ask them to voluntarily walk out? I would not necessarily say the first instance will be about security. The rules are very clear. They are about empowering the authority of the presiding officer, the speaker and the chairperson who shall be jointly presiding over the, over, over the sitting of the house. So they will be able to read out the rules as adopted. It's not their rules, it's the rules of the house. And those rules will be read out and spelled out for everyone in the house. If a member contravenes the rule that has, that has been spelled out, then the presiding officer will be able to administer uh, the directive to call up on the member to adhere to the rule. Only if the member is, is, is not adhering or contravening uh, the directive of the presiding officer, then subsequent steps then get taken in that regard as governed by the rules. Okay. And then let's talk about the court cases now, because uh, the EFF now has lost uh, another court application in their bid to attend uh, to tomorrow's State of the Nation address. Were, they, were there two separate court cases here where they were challenging the sanction because they just felt that they are a, they're representing members of the public. I think they had lost that previously. And then now the Western Cape High Court has dismissed with cause their ap- application uh, to interdict, uh, for an interdict to prevent a parliament from implementing these new rules. Were these two separate processes or, or court cases or are they linked? There were two separate court processes. The judgment of today relates to the sanctions that were applied by the rules committee, joint rules committee, and uh, effectively adopted by the House uh, against the conduct that was spelled out as in contravention of the rules of the House during the last sauna. So that was taken up for a challenge, and that judgment uh, is due by today. Yesterday's uh, judgment was in relation to the challenge to the application of the rules that would have been about governing the proceedings of tomorrow. And that judgment uh, was also issued yesterday and effectively dismissed the application that was before before the judge. So they are separate. The sanction was being challenged. The rules were also being uh, separately challenged. Okay.
and then in, what happens if Julius Malema, Floyd Shivambu and all the other EFF MPs that have been sanctioned rock up in parliament tomorrow? Uh, it's not possible to rock up in parliament uh, if there is a communication of parliament that is clearly spelling out in terms of um, uh, chapter 2, section 12 of the Powers and Privileges Act uh, of Parliament, which clearly defines the precinct of parliament that uh, is, is declared. The city hall itself is part of the extended precinct of parliament, and that has been uh, done in, in realization that parliament's main sitting can no longer proceed because parliament bent down. So the jurisdiction of the city hall is part of the precinct of parliament as outlined in the Powers and Privileges Act. So mm-hmm. the communication sanctioned to each and every member that has been so sanctioned clearly spelled out members may not be able to enter the precinct anywhere in the precinct of parliament. They are not permitted to do that. And that mm-hmm. will be the, the, the guidance that will be applicable in terms of members, um, um, as you as you as you say, rocking up. It is not possible to rock up. Okay. Uh, speaking of of, of you, because you mentioned a bent parliament, what what's the process with um, fixing what has been broken and and what has bent? Uh, you had indicated in your report a while back that you know that fire could have been avoided in in parliament. Have there been accountability mechanisms and, and how far um, is the work of trying to rebuild uh, that, that National Assembly? As we speak, uh, Clement, uh, we are uh, busy uh, with the reconstruction process of Parliament, a very exciting initiative, uh, albeit it is um, not moving at a, at a fast pace that all South Africans would expect of us to move. Uh, we only got allocated funding last year and on the basis of that funding we had to undertake extensive planning process to clear the site that was extensively uh, damaged. Almost the entire National Assembly was gutted down. So to do a planning in a building that requires us to do a careful balancing act between maintaining the heritage a dimension of a building of a historical nature from 1600, 1700, uh, and so on and so on, and and strike a right balance with modernizing a building to make sure that it is compliant with the constraints that were identified before, and also adhere to contemporary building standards. So we rebuild a parliament that fully represents the aspirations of our people, and also is reflective of the of the diversity and the rich cultural tapestry that defines our landscape as a country. How do we make an ordinary South African who is in Diabele to relate to this parliament? How do you make an ordinary South African who is Swana to relate to his Khoi and, 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 and? So we want to engage in a process that will fully reflect a post-apartheid democratic parliament. How should it look like? What should it embrace? What value system must we imbue into such a structure? So it's not a brick and mortar. It is an institution that is, is embodied with the aspirations of, of South Africans. So that work requires careful planning to balance the architectural dimension that must reflect heritage management at the same time, create an environment that will conducive for members. So we're at a stage now 
where we have just finished about 155 offices for members to make sure members are able to return back to the house and function optimally. We are mm. also, for the next three months, planning about additional 74 offices to make sure that every member of parliament is back to office, more than 490. They are all back in office, even if we have uh, 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 delegates from NCOP, from provinces, they are able to make sure that parliament is able to function. So we are pleased that we have 355 offices by September last year. We are now busy identifying additional offices because even committee rooms, uh, Clement, were all gutted down. So we are now reconstructing, identifying offices. The main reconstruction of parliament, we intend by April to demolish the current gutted down structure by April and around August start the work of brick and mortar to reconstruct because we are now at a final stage of a design process of how should a parliament look like so at the, the construction work starting in NS in September. We envisage completing this work by November 2025 and then have another four months of snag, which could take us up to February, March 2026 in terms of complete handover. But by November next year, 2025, the brick and mortar structure and the dressing up must be completed. Yeah. Uh, you, you had said that this could have been prevented if more care had been taken uh, to to limit those vulnerabilities. So has there been an overhaul of uh, the safety and security of of the parliamentary precinct? We're in the process of uh, revamping the entire security plan of parliament to make sure that the detail both at contact point, at uh, 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 surveying level uh, and surveillance level, security status, in terms of uh, access to parliament, exit to parliament and monitoring, all of those things must be congruent uh, uh, in such a way that a national key point that parliament must never be rendered vulnerable again. So that includes the structural dimension of security management of parliament in terms of personnel, the hierarchy that must manage, the systems of security must be there, the ratio of people to be deployed, but also the operating strategy of, of parliament security. So we are busy with that. So far, what we've done, we have appointed a head of security, a chief of state of parliament, which parliament didn't have before, to make sure that it, it is at, a, at a, a fairly senior level that is commensurate with the task at hand and balance those issues. That's where we are. In terms of the outcomes that we have released on the 15th of October, accountability is being implemented in areas where the reports that of investigations have pointed out that had reasonable care been taken, there would have been no banning of parliament. But sadly, our parliament uh, bent down and uh, it's now costing the nation a lot of money to reconstruct it. Yeah. And, and what's that final tally? Uh, I know that there was a 200 and... How much was it? I think 389 million rand for the old assembly and 990 million rand for the for the new wing. So, so in total, how much is this likely to cost us? Those were estimates at the time. The detailed evaluation was not done. So, the total allocated budget, as we speak, is two billion rand, 2.180 billion rand, for the work of parliament. So, that's the allocated amount at this point. It is not the final figure, Clement. Uh, we, we must emphasize that because detailed costing from an engineering 
point of view would inform the, 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 the final quantities of bills, which will then be able to estimate exactly what will it cost to do that. And that is done by quantity surveyors based on the signed off design. So engineers, architects are going to give us the, the impression, engineers cost it, put their own uh, requirements in terms of a, of a kind of structure that must have integrity in terms of, of work, and quantity surveyors are going to give us a, a deal. So only at that time that we will be able to say the price tag to build this is within this $2 billion or maybe over that period uh, of this amount in excess of that $2 billion. But those things are all quantified and they are all justifiable from an engineering and a finance point of view. And what is good, uh, Clement, is that this is not only a project uh, driven by Parliament. A national Treasury that releases the fund is part of us monitoring each and every aspect of the work. So a true accountability is given on every cost and cent without becoming extravagant on a fiscal that is constrained in a country that mm. has got high level of unemployment, inequality and poverty. All right. Oli Lejoj, Secretary of Parliament, thank you so much um, for really uh, being generous to give us some time, even when you've got some urgent matters to attend to. I appreciate it. We'll reschedule um, the interview so that uh, we can have you for an hour because there's just so much to discuss. I've just picked one or two issues now uh, to, to chat to you about, but, but the rest we'll talk about uh, when we finalize the date for our one-hour discussion. That takes us to 10.30.